Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. This episode is sponsored by Duckish Natural Skincare. I am super excited that they have jumped on board to sponsor the show because I actually know Carolyn Crew, the founder, personally. A couple of years ago, before there was a Reignite Your Ambition coaching program, before there was a workshop, before there was an ambitious everyday journal, I had an idea for an exercise to help people get clear on what drives their ambition so that they could set goals, feel fulfilled, and have something to strive for. So before I could do that, I actually had a group of entrepreneurs that I knew and I asked them if I could test the exercise on them. So I asked Carolyn, what is the something that you're striving for? What drives your ambition? What motivates you to get up every day and go to work? And she said, 2%. And I didn't really expect an answer like that. And I asked her to explain. And she said that only 2% of women entrepreneurs actually reach a million dollars in annual revenue in their businesses. And that is what motivated her to start Duckish Natural Skincare. They have lotion sticks, lip balm, baby products, and bath products. They're really innovative. And my favorite product is their lotion stick. It looks like deodorant, but it's actually lotion. So you just rub it on your legs, you rub it on your arms, your hands, your face. You can even use it as a lip balm. And I love it because it's solid. And when I travel, I can keep it in my carry-on and I don't need to worry about having too much liquid to get through security. And for all of the Diversity at Work listeners, Duckish is offering you 15% off of your order. So you need to head to duckish.ca, that is D-U-C-K-I-S-H dot C-A, and enter the promo code diversity at work at checkout, and you will get 15% off of your order. The way I see it is that if you need to buy lotion anyways, might as well buy it from a women-owned business so that you can do your part to close the gender gap. They ship to the U.S. and Canada, so head to duckish.ca and enter the promo code diversity at work and you will get 15% off. Hi, it's Andrea Jansen here and it is Black History Month. I am so excited about today's interview with Sylvia Paris Drummond. She is the Executive Director of the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I asked her a lot of basic questions because to be honest, I live in Nova Scotia, but I don't actually know a lot of the history, specifically the history of the African Nova Scotian community. So I was really curious I asked her a lot of questions and I'm sharing with you what I learned. Hi, Sylvia. Thank you so much for coming on the Diversity at Work podcast. I'm so happy that you're here and we're doing this interview. Can you introduce yourself and tell everybody listening what you do? Hi, Andrea. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure. So my name is Sylvia Paris Drummond and I work at the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute uh, as the CEO, Chief Executive Officer. Ooh, love that long title. Um, with the organization. Uh, it's always really important for us in the community to make the connection to community. So I come from Guysborough County. Um, I was uh, a teacher for about 18 years. Uh, I taught junior high and senior high. And then um, I came to work uh, in Halifax with the province, still working in education. So the connection for me in terms of my... Um, 
work uh, in the field of education and with my family. My family, uh, my dad, on my dad's side, were black loyalists and on my mom's side as well. So we feel uh, a really rich commitment in history in terms of African Nova Scotian, being of African Nova Scotian descent and how we talk about ourselves as distinct people here. So I'm just going to interrupt for a second and... Mm -hmm. I want to kind of lead with curiosity because some of these terms I don't know. Can oh. you kind of explain what Black Loyalist is? Yeah, sure. So Black Loyalist is one of the migrations of folks uh, who came here. So in terms of Loyalists had fought in the war in the United States and that migration of folks, there's also Black refugees uh, kind of cross over the same, but were promised uh, an opportunity for freedom. Um, and uh, part of that freedom opportunity was to have land here uh, in now Nova Scotia. You know, it wasn't exactly that at the time when they came, 1700s. Um, and so that kind of goes back for me in terms of, of as I said, my mom. So your family's dad. been in Nova Scotia for Gener se yeah, yeah, generations, generations, since the 1700s. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, and they came during the here. war, and that's kind of what we call the Black Loyalist Movement. Yes. Okay. Yeah, in terms of that. And just because we said the word war, I also want to kind of make the cross-connect between my father. His name was Joseph, Joseph Alexander Paris. He fought uh, in the number two construction of Black Battalion um, in World War One, right? So, so we've got kind of deep, very deep connections here in terms of family, and I, uh, I'm proud of that. And I also kind of try to draw up on that for the work that we do here out of the institute, which is um, important to make the connections of our historical being connected back to the continent, like that far back in terms of ancestors but also our contribution to Nova Scotia over those generations. Okay, so tell me more about what the Delmore Bunny Day Learning Institute does. So I, I like to think about what we do kind of um, through, as I define it, think about our aspirations. So there is a couple of phrases that I want to put out. Uh, so we create educational change. We provide genuine opportunities for Nova Scotian learners of African descent, African Nova Scotian communities to be able to reach their full potential. So we do that through a variety of ways. Um, and so in our tagline, you'll see we say Afrocentric education and research. So the research is really important. Um, it's one of the things that was lacking in terms of our response to a redressing the issues that were happening here in Nova Scotia to African Nova Scotian learners in the public school system. Can I ask another question? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm originally from Toronto, from Ontario, and I'm really curious about the term African Nova Scotian because when I first started hearing that, we don't, I never heard that kind of language when I was in Ontario. Mm -hmm. So can you explain what that means and why we use that term here in Nova Scotia, right. in this yeah. province? So it's a, it's a really great question. Uh, it's both simple and complex at the same time. So African Nova Scotian, in terms of a distinct people and identity, kind of goes back to what I mentioned in terms of generationally being here, right? So um, those migrations, as I mentioned, the Black Loyalists and the refugees and Maroons and that type of thing. So there's that aspect of being African Nova Scotian. There's the aspect of being African Nova Scotian that you come here, you actually have... Um, have as a benefit, maybe that's not the right word, benefit. You also have like kind of within your understanding, the knowledge of what country in the continent you may have came from 
or Caribbean island, that type of thing. And you, you're here as a citizen resident of Nova Scotia, so you're African Nova Scotian, right? So those kind of things are kind of two unique aspects of when people define or self-identify as being African Nova Scotian. Okay, thank yeah, you. That makes sense in terms of that. And, um, and often for us, there's also a kind of community culture kinship connection as well and you know so so we like to think about it in terms of uh, uh, an entwined richness of contribution to Nova Scotia just kind of happening at different places uh, and take the time to recognize that being here in the beginnings like so we know that it's indigenous uh, uh, communities that are the first peoples here in that regard. Um, and so for us, it's kind of the, the, uh, the folks that came here through those various ways are living here, making their economy here, in fact, contributing to the uh, economy of Nova Scotia um, in ways uh, that are, again, uh, quite distinct. And what I mean by that, we were either uh, under, under, um, underrepresented in terms of employment or unemployed, but our but the the sweat of our work has contributed to uh, what we might have today in, in Nova Scotia uh, in terms of kind of injuries, industries and economy that exists in that regard. And so um, so we have that contribution piece, but yeah, that's a connection in terms of it all. And what the Institute work tries to do is to help um, predominantly right now into the public school system help us know about that history and the heritage, right? And so things like that and where we have settled and how that settling worked, the impact of, of, of uh, land, the importance of land, our contribution to that, uh, what we uh, know about ourselves in terms of that history beyond the discussion about enslavement, right? So we try to have that come into the school system. So there's recognition of pride um, in the learners, in the learners in the school system, about uh, the kings and queens, about our contributions in terms of you know um, various levels of um, invention, you know, like the real McCoy. I'm just saying something common that people hear a lot about, right? That that was uh, a black man, McCoy, who developed that in terms of the um, the train coupling, right? So there's just things like that that we try to do um, through the institute. We try to also work. Um, very hard to impact people's perceptions um, and to address, help people address their unconscious and conscious bias, if you will, um, in terms of how they see community and interact with community. So the development of education, Afrocentric education resources is a really important uh, piece for us. And sometimes we do that in partnerships, like with education, sometimes we do that on our own with community. But telling the story and having having opportunity for folks of African descent who are authors or illustrators to be the first person voice telling that story is really important as well. Okay, so you guys are doing a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And what excited me the most when I met you and why I wanted to, to interview you on the podcast was, I don't know if you remember this, but you said the first thing when I asked you, you said, well, what do you do? Like, what is the Delmore Buddy Day Learning Institute? I, didn't, I had no idea. And you said, oh, it's a community development 
organization, but I don't actually do a lot of community work. My focus is on tackling the issues beneath the surface, doing research and just looking at it from a systemic perspective. Can you tell me Mm. what that means? Yeah. Um, So for us, or for me, for us, what it means is like, what's the root cause of things? We, you know, often have these conversations um, in community um, um, and with folks kind of, we've called them allies, whether who are interested in things about how things are being repeated over time. So, so um, an understanding about how the best way to engage with youth in schools, um, how do we show kind of respect for parents, for caregivers in the community when that not showing up well is in a bit of a cycle. Like I can think about my experiences from in school. I can think about my children's experiences in school. I can think about my grandchildren's experiences in school. And there's this thread of the same thing. And we're like, something systemic is in that, in that it can continue and continue and continue. So our work is about helping to be kind of evidence-informed in terms of saying, Here's a practice you should uh, be involved in if you really want to engage with, with youth, African Nova Scotian youth. Uh, here's a resource that you should use that will help inform your practice and help you understand better about community and how community operates. So it's really going into the policy stuff about um, formal and informal, about how we do things. Um, and it's also about um, impacting the curriculum so that when we can all feel confident that when we talk about this curriculum um, and that means what we deliver and how we deliver it is for all learners that we really mean lot all learners and not just a particular segment so that for me is about kind of getting at the root of stuff and that's informed by community because we do um, host community events here we have in this physical space you can come in um, and depending on like kind of what's available, we have a sliding scale for rental or it's like um, it's complimentary depending on what makes sense and what's needed. But we can come in together and work with community and hear some of the things that they think um, should be available. Like for example, we get a lot of interest in working to create resources that are available for elementary level um, learners. So not just in the school, but in the in their age group as well. And so that's something that we took up seriously and developed a couple of resources to respond to that, right, to that question. So so the 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 piece about not kind of being in the in the community um, has some other groups might be that define themselves as grassroots. Um, we are learning from those folks that operate in those organizations and from the individuals themselves. Okay, so I'm really interested. What are some of those things that you uncovered? So you talked about mm-hmm. these um, these themes. You see these recurring mm-hmm. themes. What is something that you're like, oh, that is what it is, and this is the real thing? Like, tell me something that you discovered through this approach. How to really have um, community and Learner and community voice in decision-making is a really important one. So we talk about that. We say, like, in general, we go, like, yeah, we need to have community voice here. We need to be heard, right? But when you say community-making decisions, do you mean, like, at the municipal level, at the provincial level? Like, what, do you, what kind of decisions do you mean? It's, it's about kind of all aspects in terms of influencing it, right? So if you, when we 
you know, do consultations or do discussions or kitchen table talks, however we kind of hear from stuff. And we hear this same theme about, you know, we have told people, whoever, you know, policymakers and stuff over a number of times that it is important that we know that what we said when we answered surveys and stuff was heard and it had an impact. So what we can take from that in the theme is if we engage with community, then we need to go back and say, did we get it right, right? And then we need to have a plan response. And that's common in terms of school age level student uh, children. And it's also common in terms of community themselves, right? So what does that, what does that get to in terms of a root? It's a value and respect in terms of community and uh, African Nova Scotia community, community in terms of what we do. So the, so it's the, it's the taking of what we're we learn, it's the taking of what we're hearing being mindful about how we are as community, you know, in terms of relational, that we need to go back and ask those questions about, did we get it right? Is this what you want to hear? Or is this what you want to hear happen or see happen? And then we need to actually kind of put that in and go back. So we talk a lot when we do um, things in terms of Afrocentric way. We, one of the things we talk about is kind of distributed leadership um, and working kind of at the same level, so kind of in a circle way. So, so the, so what that translates into is that I may have, like I do here, for example, I may have a positional title that has opportunity and responsibility, but I should always be mindful of setting in that circle and hearing from the other folks and taking what I have in terms of kind of an expertise around, uh, application from an education perspective and about policy work and filtering that into so that it's something effective for change. Right. We've been talking about. So what kind of changes are you working towards here? Well, we've been talking about like redress for a long time. So under uh, being um, not being provided the opportunities to meet the to meet your full potential um, in the school system, for example, post-secondary public or whatever. So what does that what does that mean? So does that right? mean like kids are being held back and you're like, OK, we're just we're like the evidence is telling us that. That they're not able to meet the, the they're not feeling and they're and the and the the system kind of a reviews are showing that they're not meeting. Okay. Right. Yeah. So we have like the an initiative here that we're uh, part of called the Achievement Gap Initiative. Right. And so what that has identified and um, with data and uh, qualitative and quantitative that students are not doing as well. Uh, as the comparative um, level in mathematics and literacy, right? That's been identified as being persistent over a number of, actually probably in the decades now, but certainly over a number of years. So what's the system's responsibility to address that, whatever, right? So that's when we started hearing, well, part of the problem is people weren't seeing themselves um, in the resources that we use. They weren't okay, seeing so no role models. So no role, not not so role no models in terms no. of the teachers and stuff. That's an aspect yeah. of it. Okay, but not seeing themselves in kind of the teaching materials. Oh, that so just were like used, a reading right? book or a math exercise book. It's yes. like okay, these you know, let's count the whatever the thing is. People are like, you know, what, that thing that we're counting in the exercise book. I don't use I didn't that. Use that right? I never I use that. Stuff. So I, why would I? I don't want to count it because yeah. it's not okay. It's not culturally. It's like not. It doesn't I yet. Use. Right. I don't get it. Exactly. Yeah, okay. And then the other aspect of that, you know, Andrea, is that making what is in our 
community and known to us has kind of your primary examples, right, about as how you do something. So I'll use our, we have a resource, the ABCs of Viola Desmond. Mm-hmm. It's used in grade three. Um, and it's used in grade three across the province to help with, uh, um, uh, through the process called guided reading to help for, to enhance your skills in reading, right? So what I mean when I say about the primary thing, so the, the main purpose of that resort, that book, is for that. But it tells the story of Viola Desmond, you know, an African Nova Scotian black businesswoman who was um, uh, unjustly uh, jailed in 1946. Uh, at that time, um, identified for tax evasion, right, which was not the case. So she was setting in the place that was designated for white people, um, paid what she needed to pay for that, wasn't allowed to pay the tax piece in order to actually stay there and was forcibly taken out and, you know, all of that stuff. In so it was kind of, of like an, in today's, it was kind of like a problem with the RRSP and it was racially motivated mm-hmm. and she followed the majority of the population's rule and she was put into prison for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had okay. a day in jail for yeah. overnight in jail for that type of thing. So, so while the the students are learning to read, they're learning her story. Okay, right. So they're learning that empowerment story. So I feel like that's a good book for anybody. <laughs> it to is, read. and we've just redeveloped it in French, by the way, recently. But yes, so that's what it is. So you're learning. Um, you could say incidental learning in that way, but it's it, it's a new way, kind of a, of thinking about how do we tell. Uh, the story about African Nova Scotian community and contributions in a variety of ways, right? So, so oftentimes we get caught in like we one way of doing things, right? So we have the stories. Uh, I, I'm sure you know many folks that would be listening to this are familiar with the uh, Africville story, right? And the Africville story. No, can you explain it just okay. quickly? Yeah. So the Africville story is about the the the. The community of Africville, which is in, located in North End, Halifax, um, that was demolished by the then um, Halifax uh, municipality uh, as part of urban development, right? And so those uh, folks that were such a close-knit community um, that had established their community um, uh, under their kind of own auspices, like for example, they can talk about they were, well, they might have been folks that came in some connection around the uh, migration times. They actually didn't get land necessarily through grants. They got land that they were able to save funds for and purchase and then develop and develop, right? So um, in terms of the the history story that's told on that. So that community um, had um, an abattoir place there, a dump place there, so besides um, being physically forced, moved out of there, there was all these practice pieces, policy pieces that were done that actually to, to uh, pick away at the community, uh, the physical parts of the community um, and the community strength, right? So there's stories about that that are told from a, in a children's book perspective. They're told in a junior high one. There's videos kind of, you know, of it to tell that story piece. What's important is that a, mu- a number of those stories that are told are using the voices from the community descendants and at 
some stages early development of the actual community members themselves. So is the kind of underlying issue that we just did not, ha- like we're just not telling local stories in history and we're not teaching kids that are here the history of their own city and their own province? Exactly. I mean, that is, that's happening in pockets, but the kind of plan doing that into having a, an institute like this that was set up to do that, well, we're what, five years old or six years old? So it's that kind of recent in terms of being deliberate about doing that work uh, from a plan perspective, right, in that. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so I'm really curious. So I feel like there's this opportunity, and it's interesting. So somebody over Christmas got an extra storybook about Rosa Parks, the children's book, mm-hmm. and they gave it to me for to, sh- to share with my family, to read it with my family. And I was reading it with my daughter the other day, and she had these questions. She's like, why do the black people not, why do the black people go on the school bus or not go on the school bus and they have to go to a different school? And she's like, that's not fair. That's stupid. And it's just this interesting mm-hmm. that our kids, they don't know these things. And mm-hmm. I think the work that you're doing in these local stories, like we have this Rosa Parks ones, which is an American mm-hmm. story. I think it's going to be really valuable for these younger children. It doesn't matter what race they are mm-hmm. to really understand those stories and just have that opportunity to react like and get curious and not not have to have an answer just really sit in that moment of being like that is not fair that is weird that is not right and that like just allowing kids to to have that reaction and have that discussion because I think that's a way because children are so innocent that we can move forward from that and uh so the word fair and fairness is a really important one, and that's oftentimes, even in terms of kind of equity policy work, where across ages we try to have that conversation and have people kind of kind of take pick that apart a little bit when you look at a situation, ask about the, the fairness of it. And the other comment I wanted to make in terms of Rosa Parks is, so Viola Desmond's story I think is about seven, eight years prior um, to that in terms of the Rosa Parks. So to the point again about we need to we need to get the facts out and the history out and and acknowledge that over the centuries over the centuries over the decades um we the community has been doing this work themselves so they've had to take on the burden and we've had to take on the burden of finding out that history you know understanding our heritage and then translating that within our community to our families helping like educators maybe learn that so they can do it better. So there's, so there's, that's very disproportionate in weight of accountability. Yes, right? totally. So I, I think for me, again, in terms of kind of system change, we need to flip that and we need to have the systems uh, take responsibility for, you know, getting their own learning and finding their own information. And you can do that like in collaboration and then taking the idea about I'm checking in to see if I got it right or if I'm doing it right, as opposed to coming in kind of in this, you know, empty vessel way and saying, fill me up, right? When that's not what you would do with all the other aspects that you think is important, that you think you want to have uh, taught or available for learning, whatever, if you think about lifelong learning, like kind of across the spectrum. So the, so the, the work of taking on that, um, that role of saying, if I'm going to say that whatever it is, my um, municipality, my province 
is welcoming and responsive and respectful of all of my citizens, all of my residents, all that type of thing, then then the system itself has to take on responsibility about doing that. So how does the system well. do that? Because the system is really people, right? Mm-hmm. And then I'm also really curious because you said the word achievement gap and you were talking about in school. So if there's achievement gap in school, I'm assuming once we're, people are entering the workplace, it, there's a gap there mm-hmm. as well. So I'm just thinking the big decision makers in the decision, there's probably not a lot of representation there. So how do we go about this? Mm. Yeah, so it's... It's so, oh my gosh, it's so complex, right? But it starts with a very basic thing. It starts with a basic thing of taking responsibility uh, from a system level perspective about what you should do. So to try to say that maybe in some words, um, if we say, which we say a lot now, you know, diversity is important and we need that in all of our systems. If we think about a perspective of who's privileged, and who has the opportunity to make that change, right? So will we step up and say the next terms of, say, hiring, we're going to do designated hiring, i.e. we're going to put a person, and we're going to make sure that there's a person there who represents the diversity that we want, right? And so in our work, African Nova Scotia and African descent, whatever, right, that we're going to make sure that's there. So that 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 will never mean that the position is not filled by a qualified person. And I just want to say that because often that's the question back, but are they qualified? Well, of course they're qualified. That's, a, that's the uh, basic understanding. What the, the idea of, say, using uh, designated uh, hiring is that you're very deliberate in your search for that position. And so you don't just say, oh, the door is open, come on in. You have to go out, hold the person's hand, walk them in, listen in terms of retention about what the environment is like and take that on as a responsibility because you, the, it's pos, the position of the leader in that workplace is privileged to be able to make those decisions. So it's almost like the diverse, it's like diversity versus inclusion. So what you're saying is like, yes, we can do the diversity, but you want, if, if there's no inclusion, the person's not going to want to stay. So it's almost like you could show up and be like, yes, diversity and then it's the leader's job to tackle that inclusion piece mm-hmm. is that yeah and, and so it? there's that a part about sense? there's a part about not wanting not wanting to know you know as they we say in some of our school talk they talk about drop out but we say push out right because yeah. the things aren't there to make people welcoming and being able to stay so it's a it's the same type of piece because the a lot of the thinking around talking about diversity is that it's the impact of that it will have right, the positive impact. Lots of times what happens is you get folks in who, who in terms of physical representation of diversity, okay, say so you do hand hold that person and bring them in, then you still want that person to fit and do everything exactly the same way. And so you're not really getting the advantage of diverse ways of doing, seeing things in perspectives because you want them to fit into the the, uh, the square box that you already have in place, right? Mm-hmm. So that's part of it as well. So there's the there's the opening, there's the welcoming, there's making the space welcoming way, and then there's being open to have the system, the structure, your work environment be impacted to change so that it can benefit from that diversity and that perspective that's there. And what we what we hear what we've heard a lot in terms of 
with the research um, piece that we've heard. We've heard that people um, people have an intuitive way of feeling like that they're welcomed or not welcomed. Um, and then they have to sometimes do things um, to uh, cope or to like kind of self-care so, so that they don't get What are some examples of that that you've heard? So, so people will... Um, one or two times kind of speak up to the issue. So say that, um, so there's a policy, um, there's a policy or an approach that says um, we welcome various perspectives here in different ways of doing things, whatever, right? Yeah. So then the person tries that. They might try to like to host a meeting um, in that doesn't, you know, even just in a format that's different, like a circle setting, like, and you know, and, we sometimes when we're doing facility for pieces, we'll use a talking piece and things like that, right? So people might try those things in the work environment. We just bring something right? cultural to the from like the, their what the community, the community culture. They will bring that to the workplace. That, hey, we want we're brainstorming. We're going to try a new thing, and they take a risk and they bring that to work. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, and then they're they're they don't get a positive response or, you know, in terms of like people shut down and don't participate or they get advised not to do it kind of at all. Okay. We also, you know, have heard the importance of recognizing that when people are the one ofs in an employment, right, setting, about how stressful that is, right? And how, again, so how do we kind of, how do we kind of recognize that and value it and see what we can do to address it? What can you do? Like, what can companies do? Because you don't want to put it all on the one person, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they've got to show up. They've got to do their job. It can't be their job to figure out how they are going to fit in and be the one up, right? It's just too mm-hmm. much. They're going to be yeah. overwhelmed. They're not going to be able to do that. So what can companies do to... So I think one of the things is is we look at what what do we do to the one up? So let's, we're just, you know, just around the corner is African Heritage Month, for example. So the one of often are asked to be the ones to lead and plan the activities for African Heritage Month. Okay. Right? And it, so it becomes like their responsibility. Again, it's not like, it's not like there's an African Heritage Month committee and that person could volunteer to be on the committee or not, but let's say, you know, they're on the committee um, and then the committee has ideas about let's do this and let's do that and they parcel it out, Right. Or the person is not on the committee, but their things are planned and worked. And so you respectfully go to that person and just say, like, we're going to do this. We're going to invite the speaker and just do anything. What, is there any other advice you would give? Right? So you think about it, think about things like that, that you often do, or like to give examples in school as well, recognize that when students in the school, in a classroom, and there's lots of times there's things in the curriculum that, are, are talking about something that occurred in history maybe, but are, again, can be harmful in terms of how they feel and impact, right? Whatever. Then they'll look, the, that black student that's in the classroom, everybody turns around and looks at, at him or her in terms of like an expectation about what's their reaction for one. Or that sometimes we've heard stories about where the educator will ask that particular student. So like, I'm just thinking, like, I want to flip it over and I want your perspective on this because I just think as teacher or a manager that doesn't know that's not aware that wants to support diversity almost thinking that they're doing something good by saying hey do you want to take this on and giving them that opportunity and like if you look at it from Mm -hmm. that perspective out of good intentions I think like 
I don't know what the mm-hmm. answer. I think it's really hard because you have these people that that have that that are coming from that place of privilege, and they they have these amazing intentions about including and learning and sharing. But what you're saying is actually kind of like points the finger at the person and puts the burden back on them. So how do we even mm-hmm. do that? Because it just like it. It's not like people are doing it on purpose. Like I think it just kind of is happening. Yeah. So you know, in the in the work and when we talk through the aspect of impact, not intent, right? So, so it needs to come from the idea about how is this impacting this person or how might this impact this person as opposed to kind of, or as compared to what the intent is. So my intent is I want to learn, I want to know more, whatever, right? I've got a whole variety of ways of doing that. I need to ask myself, so what if I ask this one black student um, to tell me about what their knowledge is in terms of a history piece or something, right? Because remember I said, we also have, al- have already had the burden on learning it ourselves, right? So that person may, why would that person necessarily know it if it hasn't already, for example, been taught in the public yeah, school system, Yeah, it's assumed, right? oh, somebody else has taught, has done this job and educated right. them, and now we're going to make them educate all oh. the other right. people. Right, yeah, like, like, or you come with it, like, yes. you know, already kind of infused in your knowledge. And then, of course, there's a, the, the, the aspect that's about location. But then the aspect, teacher like and the that, person right? with authority may not be educated either. So it's mm-hmm. just like, I think that's how there's no, yeah. when you're telling me about this, things not really changing, it's like, of course, it wouldn't be the student's role to ask them that. But I, I, again, I would say for the educator to say, well, how would you get information on other things that you needed to be teaching about and talking about? Like, how do you do that already? Like, do you go to, um, do you go, do you typically go to a student and ask them to educate you on something that you don't know about at all? But I would say in the workplace, you, the you do. So in a workplace, a leader would. If they don't know something, they would go to an employee like from for a business mm-hmm. question. But I think also for a cultural thing, you would as well. Because the other option is Wikipedia, right? And is that... But so then let's think about what the question could be. Yeah. It's a different kind of question if you go into me in a workplace and say, can you tell me about some resources that I could read to find out more about this? As compared to saying, can you tell me all of this? Okay. You know, so there's, in terms of that. It's almost like, can you shine some light on where, what? And it's almost like you open, it's it's like approaching it from openness and curiosity versus here you figure this out, let me know what you right. need from me. It's like, will you come along with me as I learn this and as I want to teach other people, like, will you come along? Will you answer my questions instead of making it the other way around? Will right. you take this on and will you be the teacher? Does that, is that a better yeah. way? The better way is through the lens of both. Are you burdened? Are you unjustly or in an unbalanced way burdening the person who is in this vulnerable place who is like kind of in the victimized space or whatever, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you should you be going to that person, right? Because you're trying to make the the workplace genuine. Your intent is to make the workplace better and more welcoming, and you know whatever. So, is it is it really fair that you go to that one person that's there, who has a representative aspect about the community, but is not probably wanting to speak for the whole community? right? And ask for all the right answers for that. 
like imagine the burden on that person, right? Who has the perspective that they're giving, the knowledge that they're giving, right? Has compared to saying, you know, can you can you direct me? Is there some things? I'm thinking about the door. We should maybe bring some leaders in from the community and talk about this. What do you think? Can you recommend leaders? Like that kind of conversation is that is kind of a collaborative um, experience, but grounded in this is my I'm the the uh, the leader in the in the um, workplace. This is my responsibility to lead so that we are a welcoming, inclusive, knowledgeable space, right? So that kind of different finesse about how we do it and how we ask those questions is really important because you're also saying in the way, in that, in the approach that is like, I go to that person and have them tell me the stuff is that if that person wasn't there, there would be no need to have an understanding to know more about the diversity of the, of the, because you also have customers or in one way uh-huh. or another, right, to come in. So how, how would you do it? What would kind of approach would you take if you didn't have somebody there? And it's also about course your relationship with the person over time. I know those things are also factors in it, but it's again about whose accountability is it and how do I show that up in a leadership way? Okay. So that is a long answer. <laughs> and it just goes to show that it's mm. not simple right it's just it's really not simple at all and if you think about it like we've been grappling with these things over all this time right and so what we're doing in terms of like making safe spaces for conversations when we go out and work with community talk to community invite people in like here when we have what we call our report to community, which is like an, a really a great opportunity for the community to come together and hear about the things that we've done and what we hope would happen from those things. So all of that kind of stuff to happen, those take time, right? So the other, the other piece is that for us, and I said for us in, in the institution, we're aspirational, right? We're like staying to the focus of what kinds of things will will do these kind of statements about real opportunities? Well, uh, it is about making the resources that people can read and know about and trying to find ways to make them easy to And you have resources access. for adults too? We have resources for, yeah, we have resources for adults um, and we have resources um, for um, 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 system kind of stuff change so that are, are about policy work and stuff that people can use and review. And we do... We do um, um, respond to requests for professional development. Um, we try to um, set at kind of planning tables and things like that, whatever, right? Because, again, it's trying to say, let's live this Afrocentric kind of way that is relational, has worldviews that value collaboration, right? Um, and being... Um, um, humanistic about how we do things so being kind of you know modeling respect that tries to bring forward some of the things that people are might be familiar with and use using symbols you know um the kwanzaa uh piece that people are most familiar with around the holiday time right so using those symbols about purpose so just trying to have things demonstrated in different ways so it gives people different opportunities to kind of jump onto it and take it and take it in and make use of it but it, the, it's a, the important piece really is ongoing relationships and keeping those conversations happening 
and then being able to respond to as much as we can about what the asks are for things. Okay. So I'm really curious because you talked before about the achievement gap in school and we talked a little bit about that kind of showing up in the workplace. So what is happening here in Nova Scotia um, versus the rest of Canada? In terms of, the in terms of getting people into leadership, into the workplace, in yeah. representation there, like is it... Yeah, let, just tell me what you're well, saying. Well, there's just, yeah, so there's there's or, there's kind of structured organizational approaches around... So, but there's uh, a gap, right? There's yeah, there's, a gap. There, there's, there's a, an underemployment and, and the... So there's an underemployment and unemployment gap, for sure, that can loop back into, like, academic success and the opportunity for academic success. Um, for us, where it shows up a lot in employment is kind of leadership levels, right um so like i guess you could call like middle managers managers and things like that whatever right because you can imagine that that would make sense because lots of times in order to move up the ladder it's quote unquote right so you have to come in and maybe you come in at entry level something and you move up if the expectation is that you as a as a community population are 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 not kind of a fit once you come in at the entry level then I don't take on the responsibility as, you know, um, as if the organization as a company to, to ask myself, well, what, what is, what do I mean by fit? Like, what is that about? And is using, even using that phrase or our thinking with that phrase, what does that mean about being representative um, in terms of diversity and, and being inclusive in all of our practices? Like, what does that mean? Do we need to stamp people that look like us? Are they the fit? And so, therefore, there's going to be that same pattern all the way up the yeah. line, right? How do how do we how do we break that? And so, that is one thing that we're seeing in terms of some collaborative projects with other folks that is showing up, like and that's the same all across there. Canada. That's yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. In terms of the national um, perspective, then I think the so other what is something to, that we could do in the workplace that works? Is there something that you know that works in the workplace? What works in the workplace just to is promote that inclusion. The policy piece is important, and then the implementation of the policy. So having like having a a diversity policy or an equity policy, I think is probably you know. And a that means way like when you're it. interviewing, you need to think about like you need say that you interview ten candidates for each position. You look maybe three of those potential people that you interview are. Minorities, is that what you mean by well, a diversity policy? Like what kind of things are in the diversity so policy? So let's say in terms of the hiring one. So you have, when you're interviewing, you have uh, somebody at the table who is representative in terms of diversity. Oh, right? someone's so doing the interviewing. The panel, right? Okay. But then you also have um, policy pieces in place um, that can help you with changing the look of your, of your employee base. So you might say... Um, if this is a diverse candidate, X percent is also like available. So all things, you know, you do all the interviews and the, you have a scoring the same um, and like a tie in scoring saying. So then there would be a bump in terms of the person who is representative. Diversity yeah, I've heard that before. Have, right. So those are kind of okay, like. So that's a way to get people pieces. in the door. And mm -hmm. now what's a piece of the policy that will help people rise to leadership? Like what's something that companies can put in the policy? One of them needs to be that you see leaders from a different perspective than, than is maybe narrow to what 
you have in terms of how they how they lead right so if you have a look um, in your in your uh, structure for leaders right and so you just you have to do uh, an analysis about what is it the leadership competencies that we are rewarding and are they a barrier to diverse candidates taking those roles or are they in, are, are they actually designed to encourage people taking that role? So let's say, for example, if one of your competencies is knowledge of African Nova Scotian communities or history of African Nova Scotian communities, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily um, uh, push anyone in broad community out from it, but it certainly does give a valuing in terms of the person of African descent who's applying for that position because there's a rationale because that is a population that you're probably serving through your company, right? Okay, yeah. So you can have your competencies and stuff also be a way to open them up in terms of the hiring and advancing up those levels. Yeah, okay, so having the policy for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so this is a lot. So my next question is, if you're gonna try something, so say a company is like, you know what, we wanna do better at diversity inclusion, and they try something, how do they know if it's working or not? Because you talked about having mm. that feedback loop and always going back. So what's something a company could do to... Gee, I'm, so, so there's two parts in that question, I think. So the how do you know is like, you've already got a, you've already have something that you're trying to address, right? So whatever it is you're trying to address needs to be already said. So we want to increase the representation. We want to have at least two, uh, positions like that are uh, filled by in terms of diversity right people of African descent so then so then it's your practices that you're going to do to kind of feed into that and what you need to have um, is at least for me at least three components so you need to have one that's a recruiting piece internally right um, you need to have a, a coaching or a mentoring component right for those folks there and you need to have a um, kind of what we call an aftercare piece, right? So assuming that there's going to be some kind of learning curve or development in terms of that journey, you've got someone there that is maybe external that the person can go to um, in terms of support and for check-in, right? So that they can be stabilized in the position. So that's the aftercare piece, right? Okay. And how can you frame this? I'm just like thinking that could be a like, if someone's starting in that role, are they like, get all this special support mm-hmm. and it could make them feel like I am less and mm-hmm. that's why the company's giving this so I would almost think you could like reframe it as like we're going to give you coaching we're going to give you extra training and because you're high potential and we believe in you and like framing it as a, a positive thing because I mm-hmm. think the risk is that people could go and be like okay they don't think I can handle it so they're giving yeah, me how right. do you get around that well and and i think my assumption is saying is it that it's that type of thing that that you're doing uh but you, you know it's going to be organized organization organization specific but you just you really got to be honest right so if if you you know you you want to have these positions filled you know that you've you've got people with potential in there because we're talking about moving kind of up, right? Then you have to be able to be responsive to hearing about, so why haven't they, 
if they're interested in it, right? Why, why and how, what has prevented them from moving up, right? So part of it is going to be the coaching, like in terms of here's how we whatever. But we have to be open to like, so what are we going to do different though too, mm-hmm. right? If you're trying to, you know, if you're trying to say that, yeah, we're really about like benefiting from um, diverse voice perspective ways of doing things, we need to look at our own structure and say, so how are we doing that? You know, how are we opening for that? Like we here, like we continually, so, you know, we're continually trying to say, so what does it look like and how do we make the feeling of being Afrocentric when, when you come into our space? Because that's what we're about, right? So like we've got it down, I think, in terms of some of the icon stuff that exists in that. What do we know about, you know, our practices? So like for us, our practices is when we have team meetings, um, we always have proverbs, right? Because that's one of the things we know in terms of kind of the proverb itself is a kind of a physical representation about how we learn in communities in different ways. We learn from elders. We learn from um, having a kind of intergenerational conversations. And so, so there's a lot that we know that is happening through the lens of a proverb. So what things are you going to take time in your workplace to do that shows we're valuing kind of different, yeah, we're drawing unique ways of doing things. I love it. It's a question, right? What are the things we can do, right? It's like maybe you don't have the answers right Mm -hmm. away. It's like that journey. And I think that's where that feedback loop that you talked about before, like you do something, then you you check in. It's not just Mm -hmm. we did it, check the box and move on. You do the thing and get the feedback because you know what? The first thing you try may not work, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) If you get the feedback, then that will get you forward. Whereas instead of having it all figured out, it's like just about starting. Yeah. And, and, And again, which is in a kind of a worldview aspect for us, things are often organic, right? So be very intentional and mindful about the experiences because you can, you will be learning for kind of uh, when you're doing that thing, you'll be learning about what needs to kind of grow from that or what needs to kind of change in it. And remember, for folks, you're in, you're not just doing this like pulling it out of the, the air. Like you're doing it in a way because you've taken some time to ask questions, to take training, to do learning, whatever, and now you're trying to apply, right? So we're applying Afrocentric research. That means... For us, we we took the time to to get a gathering of what we are calling community community data collectors, right? So that meant though we didn't just go to the community and say, you know, can you collect it? We had to go and offer them the training that we needed. We had to work with folks who have a passion for or involved with community. We had to apply what we know about culturally responsive theory about participatory action research. So those are like not exciting things for people to be talking about, but we had to apply that to the to the action to what we were doing. And this is why so I love you. This is stuff, why I was right? so excited when I met you because you're grounding it in the data. It's not like okay, this sounds fun. Mm-hmm. I think well, people said it was fun. Okay, we're gonna keep doing that. You are like we want to change the system, and that means work and tracking and setting goals and being curious and almost like exploring a lot before you actually take the action and really making sure that you know what's working, what's, what's not working, and 
what what issues are you even talking about? So I love that. Yeah. And that is complicated. And I'm wondering if you have an idea for business leaders, so people who want to promote more diversity and inclusion in their workplace, what could they do to get started? Because they may not even be one of those big decision makers. Like what's the first thing that they could do mm-hmm. within a day? Within so I like day. people to okay. start within 24 hours. So, hmm. so they think, of, so it needs to build from something that you want to change, whatever, right? So, so let's say that we want to impact how people feel, how we, how we, yeah, we want to impact how people feel in the work environment, right? So kind of thinking from a relational thing. So there's some workplaces, some workplaces that I've been where we've had policies and all that kind of stuff, but I used to say this, when I walk down the hall, it's a whole different world, right? So I'll run into people. Same one that was in the meeting with me doing stuff and they don't even, they don't even act like I don't exist, whatever, right? So let's say we want to impact that. So what, what could we do to have a hallway experience or have things happening in the hallways or that make people feel, yeah, they're really committed to this policy and that, um, um, around, you know, being, um, welcoming and inclusive and you know all those type of things this place is really committed to that well for starters i mean people have different you may have something up on wall so maybe you have a blank wall you have a wall that has an inspirational proverb right you have a wall that has a quote by a black woman you have a wall that has a quote like so you just kind of create this kind of in incident not incidental but um environment like where like there's a part of it that's deliberate i love there's it a part of it that's just like it's so around you that you you feel it whatever so when right? it goes back to i love this because this can be applicable to anybody so it's like okay if you're in a business where are you getting your motivational quotes from it could be even simple as you to look for one make it the background of your phone for a day for that right yeah. for just for one mm-hmm. day but then it's like with your kids what what books are you reading to your kids before they go to bed mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what? You look around your leadership team. What what leadership books are you reading? Mm-hmm. Most leadership books are written by one kind of type of person. Mm-hmm. Get, curious Get curious and find book. another one and read that book. Yeah. I love it. And how you do kind of the training piece, you know, whatever in space. I remember being um, doing some work about, probably about 12 years ago or something with, with a group. Um, and it was interesting because which shows people even – People don't necessarily see the privilege that they have, right? That they have privilege. And so we were doing a lot of work and things were going and moving. And the complaint was, there is too much about black people here in this workplace. (laughs) And so, but you know, the, the kind of interesting thing to talk to that from is, so one is you could see that something was happening in terms of impact, right? And of course it brought us into it, you know, it wasn't that kind of explicit in people's faces. It was, you know but it was communicated, but it brought us to like needing to have an ongoing conversation in terms of that. But you can almost think about that as a bit of a success in the work that's happening, right? People and are that, noticing. Because they're noticing it. Yes. And that's, so there's, so the, in, being intentional, as I mentioned, is so important, right? And being deliberate about what you want to impact is also important. And that goes back again to like for us around kind of, you know, we're a research base here. Why? Like, why are you choosing this thing that you want to impact and change? 
It's got to be informed by something. And I'm, I don't want to sound like, I don't think that people like, I actually invite people to reach out to us, right? Ask us questions like, that's what our, so our that's role your is, job. right? So that's we're running our job. Out of time, so, okay. yeah. so I know you have sparked a lot of curiosity in me, and I'm actually, once we stop recording, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions, and I want some, to get my hands on some of these resources. Mm-hmm. But if somebody wants to learn more or get resources, get their hands on these resources, how do they do that? Well, so we have a website, right, which... Uh, dbdli.ca is our website. I'll put it in the show yeah. description. Okay. And we use, you know, the Instagram. So we have things that go to the So what's the Instagram social... handle? It's a dbdli as well. Okay. Instagram handle. And Twitter, I think, is the same. So yeah. we have all those. And just call here at the office. So it's 902-407-3200. I think we have a toll-free one too, but I'd have to look that up. Okay, we can, I can put um, the contact right? information yeah. in the show And so just call NASA because that that is our job. But just a reminder, it's not the job of your employee or the student in the classroom, right? To yeah. answer the questions in that way, right? And that's awesome. It, but it's a job. We want to do that. Thank you yeah. so much for coming on the podcast, Sylvia. This was really amazing. And I am excited to learn more. So thank you so much for this. Oh, thank you so much. I am so excited to share with you today that Ambitious Every Day is here in the world. It is like having your very own leadership coach in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals every single day. It is the coaching exercises that I take my clients through, illustrated by the talented Jill Jackson. So it's a book. There are questions that you ask. It's just like I'm your leadership coach right there in with you, holding your hand, helping you figure out what ambition means to you, helping you set goals and come up with a plan to make them happen. And you can actually get a preview for free by going to andreajensen.com forward slash journal. You can also order your physical copy and it will come to you in the mail, but you can try it for completely free in a PDF right to your inbox. Go to andreajansen.com forward slash journal to get yours today. Hey, if you're still listening to the podcast, if you made it this far, I would probably assume that you're getting some value out of these weekly podcasts. And I would like to ask you a favor. If you could take a minute to give me a review on iTunes. So click on the podcast, give me some comments, give me some feedback because that helps spread the word about the Diversity at Work podcast, and it helps to build more diversity champions and get people learning, get people curious about what it's really going to take to close the gender gap. And after you've done that, if you still have some time, you could take a screenshot of the podcast and post it in your social media. That can help spread the word as well. Thank you so much.